Want to learn how a future podcast star transitioned from prison to having a positive impact on society? Join us on today's episode of the Bending Bars podcast. All right, everybody, welcome to today's Bending Bars podcast. I'm pleased to have with us today Ben Volpe. Ben was incarcerated for 14 years and is now dedicating his life with a renewed sense of purpose to affecting change in criminal justice reform. While in prison at South Bay Correctional in Florida, he studied in our civics education program. Ben currently lives in Miami and credits his success to not only his own hard work, but most importantly to his family, his friends, and especially his fiance Kim, upon his release a couple years ago. Ben currently works in the manufacturing industry and is our guest on today's Bending Bars podcast. Ben, welcome. Great to have you with us today. How's it going? It says here that the host has unmuted my mic. Okay, awesome. How you guys doing? Uh, yeah, Thanks man, we're editing, doing right? We're doing great. <laughs> we're doing great. Hey, listen, Ben, it was it was really cool to catch up with you and Kim a few weeks back when we were down in Miami um, visiting Always. South Bay. Yeah, correctional. To see you guys, man. Always. Absolutely, man. Thanks for your time. And we look forward to coming back and uh, Can't wait. <laughs> spending more time, bud, spending more time with you guys. So that was really cool. Thanks for having us over and, and hanging out with us. Um, during that time, Ben, I we were having just, you know, wonderful conversation as always and number of topics on criminal justice reform. And there was something that you mentioned that really um, kind of caught my attention. And I think it's it's a part of criminal justice reform that um, many people aren't really considering. They're not thinking about when they talk about and maybe try to understand why, again, especially a lot of great, great groups and organizations that are working in criminal justice reform don't feel like they're making any headway. And I was wondering if you could kind of give us a little bit of background on that and kind of just your initial observations on that particular problem. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, they're not making headway. Uh, they, they feel like they're they're not making headway because they're not. Um, and the reason for that, I believe, is that they don't understand some of the dynamics that are at play. Uh, and I think the main dynamic is the the entire tough on crime uh, mantra that has come to dominate the landscape of criminal justice reform and uh, prison reform. Um, it, I take a lot of flack sometimes when I talk to people who are in these who are in these different groups because I, I try to explain to them and uh, they're fighting the right battle with the wrong tools. Um, and a lot of people don't like to hear that. Uh, but it's it's the truth. You're up against a you're up against a machine that has had close to 50 years of pushing a narrative that is fear of crime, tough on crime. Uh, people are beyond rehabilitation, uh, no value to society. You know, you know, pick your pick your label um, along with all of the economics that come from the tough on crime narrative uh you know whether you're talking about whether you're talking about elected judges and, and prosecutors uh, all the way up to uh you know the prison belt uh, especially in the in the state of florida uh, the state of florida is like something i've never seen but you know you have entire counties 
that have that that thrive off of the prison industry and these these segments are are voting blocks so politicians are despite the 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 lip service that some of them may pay to criminal justice reform and and prison reform none of them really have a vested interest in changing the system because it has solidified such huge voting blocks for them and so my argument is if you're trying to work through the legislative process to change that you're 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 on the wrong battlefield the battlefield needs to be the battlefield of public perception at this point you need to change public perception because like i just stated you had you've had 50 years to sway public opinion you have to sway that in the other direction and that's not going to happen through the legislative process that's only going to happen through taking concrete steps and 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 maximum effort at changing the way people view those who are coming out of prison and and reintegrating into society and at simultaneously and and this is one of the reasons why i love you guys so much um prisoners or or those coming out of prison also need to understand their obligation and their duties to helping change that perception um and and, and sort of, and and breaking that narrative and that's something that's just it, it just simply is not done through the legislative process especially when you have politicians and 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 state actors who have a vested interest in keeping that sort of mantra uh you know in full effect because it keeps them in positions of power and positions of authority obviously it it um it solidifies their their uh their economic standing in life as far as jobs pay so forth and so on um i mean it's not it's no secret at this point that take elected judges for instance um you know are, are prone to sentence defendants more harshly during election seasons um you, you know these this isn't coincidental this is these are things that come from having an entire fear message used to solidify multiple voting blocks and until you break public perception you're not going to see any change uh in the legislative process when it comes to reforming our our criminal justice system and our prison systems yeah i think what it is absolutely i think a lot of people don't really i mean they hear tough on crime but don't really quite understand kind of what that means and so i think you flushed it out quite well so in other words what you're saying, Ben, is that, for instance, judges, elected officials, oftentimes will run their campaign on being tough on crime. Right. And so what ends up happening is that, as you said, solidifies a voting block and everybody feels as if they're living in safer communities. Why? Because they have judges who are going to rule in a specific way to ensure that, you know, crime is mitigated and communities are safer. But that whole kind of politicization of of this of the legal system ultimately is actually having its opposite effect isn't it i just actually read a uh bureau of justice statistics uh site where it said that incarceration and the current incarceration system is actually having the opposite effect in other words there's massive incarceration harsher sentences mandatory minimums and it's not working. No, right? it, we, it, it's it's it, not working. It's not working, and 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 it's never going to work. And so, 
ha, you know, taking an, you know, again, like I was just stating, when you're looking at it from a state actor's point of view, they're not concerned with whether, despite the lip service, they're not concerned with whether or not it works. What they are concerned with is whether or not they can get votes. That's what it is. And so you have a system that, like you were just talking about now with harsher sentencing and, and longer minimum mandatories. So let's, let's, let's look at what, what, what happens realistically as opposed to what happens theoretically, right? Theoretically, there is the rehabilitation and you go to prison and in prison, you are supposed to sort of reflect on your, your behavior, uh, change your attitude and come out and be ready to integrate back into society, right? Theoretics, they make it sound nice and, and beautiful like prison is some sort of magical uh, bubble that just changes people's behavior. Let's look at what happens when you're really in prison. You are degraded on a daily basis. You are talked to like you are less than human. You are treated like you are less than human. You are given in most prisons very, very minimal um, educational or vocational opportunities. You are put in a place where you basically don't exist as a person, you exist as a number. Technology moves at such a high rate of speed today that when a person faces a 15, 20 year, 30 year prison sentence, they literally get out of prison and are brought into a, or transitioned into a completely new world. You've given them no training, no skills, and no ability to learn how to navigate in this new world. And then you act shocked or surprised or uh, very, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Just very, uh, I can't think of the word off the top of my head, but you know, when a person doesn't succeed and they're not able to make it, you know, mm -hmm. it's kind of like an, I told you so. Well, what do you expect? You can't take, it's, it's, you can't take someone out of, out of the world place them in a cave, let the world change for 15 or 20 years, and then expect that person to return into the new world as if nothing ever happened and they can just, at the snap of a finger, go on about their business and reintegrate successfully. It's just not realistic. While you're simultaneously treating them as less than human, it, it, it's a massive failure on every level. And anybody who says that it's not, or that we need to be tougher, or that you know, sentences need to be stiffer or more time is, is completely ignorant of A, what happens when a person is incarcerated, B, the real world consequences that a person faces when they come out of prison, um, or C, basically just doesn't care. And I think the majority of people have been, and I'm, I'm going to use the, I don't use this word often, but I'm going to use it here. I think the majority of people have been brainwashed by decades of programming um, and a narrative that says these people can't be changed, these people can't be rehabilitated, these people can't contribute, uh, you know, to society. And so it ends up being a lock them up, throw away the key, and I don't want to have to worry about that person for the rest of my life. Well, that sounds good. But the truth of the matter is about 90 to 95% of people who are incarcerated are going to get out one day, whether you want them to or not. So either way, you're going to have to deal with these people because like it or not, these people are re-entering into society. Uh, that's, that, that's just a fact. That's just the, that's, that's the real world. It's not what you want it to be. It's what is. 
And so when you ignore that, you, you ignore it at your own detriment. Because when you don't teach anybody anything, when you take rehabilitation out of the system and replace it strictly with punishment, what is the outcome you really honestly expect people to come out with once they once they're let out of prison and, and, and brought back into society? I mean, at some point, the thinking has to just change completely and reality needs to kick in. And it's not. And it's not because the, the, the tough on crime and, the, and the, the fear is consistently pushed by politicians, state actors, you know, the media, you name it. So, yeah, it's it's kind of like institutional insanity. You know what I mean? We, <laughs> we we continue to do the same thing over and over and over for decades and we expect different results. Uh, the results say the same, as you said, 95 percent uh, of inmates are getting out. There's this revolving door in which two thirds of them that do get out go right back mm-hmm. within right the first three years as uh, stats across numerous studies tell us. Yeah. So you're right. I think narrative shift really is is kind of the optimal term. Um, this movement away from, and, and, and not that individuals shouldn't be incarcerated. Clearly we have to have, you know, a legal system and, and a system of incarceration yes. again for our community safety. And, 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 and I don't think, no, you know, we're not disputing that to be sure they need to be, you know, inca- incapacitated, as they say, for a certain period of time. But but as that process of imprisonment, you know, continues, um, you're exactly right. There has to be some preparation for rehabilitation, educational and vocational training. Again, otherwise, we're just, you know, continuing to do the same thing. So, Ben, in order to make that shift, one of the things you mentioned was that uh, and this is in, in kind of an earlier conversation, was that those folks who are working on the criminal justice reform side, rather than focusing their attention on lobbying and going to the political powers that be, whether it's at the state or federal level, your your focus and your insight, which I think is really spot on, has to do with the shift from, you know, kind of lobbying and worrying about, you know, one bill being passed or not being passed and sort of staking, you know, your entire claim on that versus a shift back to maybe a more grassroots or community, you know, level. Could you kind of share with us, you know, your your insight on that? Because I thought that was a really, really cool point. Yeah. Um. So, you know, when we were having a conversation earlier, I had mentioned the fact that just imagine if people took the amount of energy and effort they placed into all of this failed legislation that occurs year after year after year and instead took that same time and, and energy and effort and re, and and transferred that into organizing um groups that have that are made up of ex-offenders right and these ex-offenders are going out doing things like mentoring in the community helping um uh helping clean up streets uh do- designating uh, uh, donating time to uh, helping the homeless uh, and doing charitable work, right? And and all of the things that that could encompass, right? We know that's that's a very big realm there that you could basically take this this group of people and start to put them in all of these positive areas and show not just not just talk, but literally show that what what can be done when you actually have people who understand 
their obligations to society, their obligations to themselves and their family, and their obligations to their communities. Uh, what you can show when you have these groups of people contributing and and um, actively participating in the society that they're being reintegrated into, um, that is the most. I think that's the you know that speaks volumes, right? And it's a direct contrast to the entire lock them up and throw away the key. They can't be re rehabilitated. They have no value to society narrative that's pushed for nothing more than a political gain. Um, and, and, you know, and again, I said this in the beginning, this is why, you know, it's one of the reasons why I love you guys so much. It has to start inside the prison first, right? And it's not going to start inside the prison by the legislature or by the state because they have a vested interest in keeping people in prison, okay? Um, so it has to start with some sort of you know, you said grassroots, which is exactly what you guys are. It has to start with some sort of grassroots movement. What you guys are doing is 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 instrumental to what I'm talking about. If it's not starting from the community and being brought inside the prison, when these guys are released, it can't be brought outside the prison. So the biggest thing has to be bringing that kind of understanding and knowledge into the prison system to begin with um, so that when these guys do get out, they understand what what it is they have to do and 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 what they're you know obligated in a lot of cases um, to do and that is how you start to change I believe at least that's how you start to change the narrative and that's your that's your counterpunch you know and for every one bad story there has to be three positive stories um, you've got a media machine that's you know we discussed this earlier I know we're not going to get into that right now because this is a whole different subject but you have a media machine that's built on propaganda and loves to use fear to drive a narrative it's great you know sensational television and it is what it is but you have to be able to find a way to use that also to highlight the positives and that that's you know and change the public perception and that has to start like I said with groups like you guys coming into the prisons so that guys coming out understand what they have to do and then fostering that narrative, the narrative of no rehabilitation, positive change, changing your lifestyle, giving back to the community. Um, you know, no, this is what happens when guys are coming out of prison. Um, and that's difficult, man. That's real difficult. Like I said, we've got almost 50 years of a, of a fear narrative and a, and a fear, you know, uh, uh, oh, save me, protect me, you know, mentality that, that has occurred, um, by the hand, you know, because of the hands of politicians and, and their own agendas. It's it's not easy to break, but that's wasting your time. And I hate to say it like that, but it's the truth. Wasting your your time trying to get politicians on your side is is just that. It, it's a waste of time. You know, I, I see the partisanship that a lot of these groups um, in criminal justice reform and, and in prison reform are partaking in right now. It's a left versus right thing. It's a Republican versus Democrat thing. And, and you know, people act as if the Republicans are, are, are just tough on crime and the Democrats aren't. And it's like, no, let's not forget. It, it was Bill Clinton's crime bill that created what it created, right? It's Joe Biden's, you know, our current president has helped create this mess. Our vice president has sat there and literally fought to keep innocent people on death row. These are Democrats. If you look at, um, especially this in the in the state of Florida, um, Childs, for instance, 85% happened under Childs. It didn't happen under Jeb Bush or a Republican governor. You know, it happened under a Democrat governor. Now, people will argue that, okay, that's true, but Childs didn't sign the 85% law into effect. No, he didn't. He didn't. But he didn't veto it either. 
And his argument was that he believed that um, 85% should be, should only apply to violent crimes and, and reoffenders. Well, if you really believe that, then, then why did you allow everybody to fall victim to that? It's because if you would have vetoed that, your political stake would have been in jeopardy because you would have now been soft on crime. And they were already accusing Charles of being soft on crime during his reelection, despite the fact that Charles oversaw the biggest prison buildup in Florida history, despite the fact that it was Charles who spearheaded legislative efforts to add 24,000 um, beds to prisons, uh, created the juvenile justice department and have inmates serve 75% of their time. This isn't a Republican Democrat thing. This is a politician thing. And certain areas are more prone to having this narrative because of what it solidifies for them. And that's voting blocks that you can take. I mean, Florida's uh, prison industry is, is, re is ridiculous. What it, what it solidifies for the economy. You're not going to have politicians just start back paddling and, and, and fighting against fraternal order of police union, uh, correction officers, unions, uh, all the jobs that it employs, like no politician, Republican or Democrat is going to put their neck on the line to put forth any serious, and that's the key word that I believe is serious, any serious effort to change what is in play. Yeah. Little small piecemeals here and there. You'll get one or two that, you know, will, will fight what they know is a losing battle, but they're not going to actually push hard to change the system. So you have to go outside of depending on the system and do it from, like you said, the grassroots. You know, it's very, uh, I say, easy to um, kind of garner support for um, preventative causes, helping juveniles, let's say, you know, not not get into trouble and and maybe establish and develop programs for them. And and you hear about uh, programs on the reentry side, you know, Ben, where uh, folks are very, um, you know, ready to, to, to kind of get in and support, whether it's by, by, you know, by way of financial support or otherwise. But your, your discussion on the narrative shift to taking programs like ours into the facility and kind of giving guys that running start, that's a very difficult thing, right, to convince people of. Oh, yeah. And, oh, and yeah. Prim primarily because, you know, as you said, it's this sort of lock them up and throw away the key mentality. But that, of course, the other side of that is, again, as we noted, 95% of those who are incarcerated are getting out. So I think that narrative shift is really crucial to say, listen, in order to give anybody who's incarcerated kind of a fighting chance in order to make it and to reintegrate into society, what you're saying is there has to be this grassroots effort, to use that last point, to really come in and to kind of, you know, do the necessary spade work, intellectual and counseling and academic work and otherwise, so that men and women who are incarcerated do have a fighting chance that they can prep to get out. And that that's a hard, that's a hard shift to make, isn't it? Oh, I mean, it, because it, it, yeah, like, it, like it, I said, they, they see all the way. There's exactly. No there's, there's no sense of, of that, of that value. And I think back to your point about the media, and again, as you noted, this is certainly a topic for another discussion. Oh, yeah. The fact that the sort of the media machinery just continues to churn out this narrative that, um, you know, crime, criminals, completely bad, totally irreformable, right? You know, we're just sort of 
we compartmentalize this group of people. Um, and, and, and that, that perception becomes reality, right. Mm -hmm. In, uh, in, in sort of, you know, uh, you know, popular for popular consumption. Um, that is a very difficult shift to make to be sure. Oh yeah. Um, Especially when you have so many, so much vested interest in keeping that narrative alive. Um, you know, and, and when the people who are keeping that narrative alive are the ones who are creating the laws and, and campaigning on the promises of, of safety and driving the fear or driving the, the loss of, of uh, economic opportunity for certain areas. I mean, you know, how do you combat that? Right. How, how do you like how do you honestly combat that? Like I said, it's not something that can be done through the legislature. It has to be done from a grassroots effort. And the only way you can combat that is by showing people, look, here's a group of people that you have said is X and they're really Y. And you can see that they're Y because they're going out and doing A, B, C, D, you know, and, and, and everything you're saying that they're not able to do, here they are doing everything that you said they are the complete opposite of. It has to be a legit movement and it has to be organized it has to be structured and it has to be highlighted. And the same vigor that they push the fear narrative with, we have to be on the front lines pushing against that. And we've got to do it twice as hard because like I said, they've had 50 years to build this. We're not going to come along in a year or two and destroy it. It's going to be a very, very long, hard fought battle. But I think it's one that can be won if we focus on doing it the correct way. Right now, I don't believe we're focusing on doing it the correct way. People don't like when I say that, but I believe that's the truth. And I think the results speak for it. I think the proof is in the pudding now. I think it speaks for itself what I'm saying. When's the last time you saw any meaningful prison reform or criminal justice reform legislation passed in the state of Florida? I, I can't tell you when. Nothing meaningful. Parole gets nixed down every time. Um, 65% gets nixed down every time, uh, whenever they want to go ahead and change. I mean, let's just look at the Supreme Court ruling that just came out not too, like, not, not even what, a, a week or two ago, uh, when the Supreme Court ruled against the juvenile uh, life sentences. Now the court has said that, no, that's, that's permissible, this, as long as the judge's discretion and he's involved. I mean, come on, man. Like, you, you, there's no going, there's no going through the legislative process to get this beat without changing the public perception first. And if you're focusing your efforts on trying to change this without changing public perception, you're, you're on, you're fighting, you're, you're fighting a losing war. I, I have an idea for uh, part two, Ben, with you, uh, another bending bars podcast, because I feel like one of the things that you might be able to do is kind of carry a civics lesson, you know, hold a civics lesson for those in the criminal justice reform movement and help them, if you will, kind of align their goals and maybe their strategies away from, you know, the political side or the lobbying side of things and focus on something that um, kind of gives them the, a necessary understanding of civics, but also why at the grassroots level, why ultimately a program like the civics education program works actually makes more sense and is a better use of their time and energy, but it would be a podcast dedicated to you 
as civics professor to explain that. How does that sound <laughs> for part two? I, hey, man, I told you guys from the get-go, man, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm available whenever you guys need me. Uh, you know, I, I'm, um, like I said, man, I, I, I make myself available to you guys any, anytime. Um, and it, I'd, I'd love to, um, it, you know, I, I, if I think, if I think it's something that, that some kind of positive change can occur from, I am, I'm, I'm all on board, man. All you got to do is let me know when and where. So yeah, oh, we can, we can definitely do that, Jim. Whenever you want to get together and discuss that, feel free to contact me, reach out. You know, we talk often anyway, so I, I'm, I'm definitely on board. Fantastic. So this is really cool because I think you get to put on your professorial hat. <laughs> and uh, talk about the value of of good, solid principles. But as I said, that can empower them to make sure. And, you know, because we want to be we want to be an asset and a resource for everybody involved. You know, we're, we're just we're just one group uh, trying to uh, do the right thing, but also advance the right narrative and, and empower people and continue to support, uh, you know, those who were formerly incarcerated. So, Ben, like yourself, you can be successful so you can reunite with your and your family members and friends on the outside, you know, obtain employment and and just do what you are destined to do, you know, as you have reintegrated into society. And so, hey Ben, we would absolutely be happy to have you on uh, on our next podcast, a civics lesson with Benjamin. Vol- <laughs> hey man, like I said, whenever you guys want to get together, I'm I'm always there, brother. <laughs> indeed, indeed. As we continue to uh, move. Uh, move the criminal justice reform narrative in the right direction. Benjamin, thanks so much for being with us today. We uh, look forward to being with you on our next Bending Bars podcast. Thanks so much, Ben. Thank you guys, man.